Hello and welcome to Plan B, a podcast about all the latest news and updates related to citizenship by investment by CS Global Partners, a London-headquartered legal government advisory and marketing firm. My name is Aisha Mohammed and I'm your host. In our last episode, we spoke to Paul Singh, the director of CS Global Partners, who has visited the Caribbean many times and gave our audience an inside look into the beauty and resilience of the Commonwealth of Dominica. You can catch up on that episode and others by subscribing to Plan B on either Spotify or iTunes. You can also find an episode breakdown on our website at www.csglobalpartners.com under the resources section. On today's show, we have James McKay from McKay Research, who developed the CBI Index. James will walk us through his methodology and what makes the CBI Index such an effective tool for investors looking to attain second citizenship. But first, some CBI highlights and updates from this week. The Maltese Individual Investor Programme will be undergoing comprehensive changes to its contribution, real estate and residency requirements ahead of its relaunch in September as the original MIIP effectively reaches its cap. A recent article from The Economist discusses the cases of several African nationals who chose Caribbean citizenship over others due to their experience and smoother processing. One in particular said that obtaining the economic citizenship of the Commonwealth of Dominica was a life changer. And those are this week's CBI updates. The CBI Index is a yearly report published by the Financial Times' Professional Wealth Management. The 2020 edition will soon be released, but in the meantime, we can tell you that in the 2019 edition, the top five CBI positions were held by nations in the Eastern Caribbean. For a third year, Dominica was named the best with a score of 90%, followed by St. Kitts and Nevis, 85%, Grenada at 81%, Antigua and Barbuda at 80%, and St. Lucia at 79%. So welcome to Plan B, James. How are you doing today? I sure very well. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for being here. So things are finally opening up in the UK. What was something you did or planned to do first after coming out of the lockdown? Well, that's actually a very long list. I think we can all agree the lockdown has gone on for way too long. <laughs> As an avid uh, music and jazz fan, what I've really been looking forward to is um, getting out of the house and just going to listen to some live music. Um, ha- having said that, however, it looks like I might have to wait a little while longer because some of the clubs are not opening uh, already. And um, I may have to go and uh, look for an outside festival in to, uh, to to get my fix of live music. Other than that, I think um, it's just uh, like a lot of people, just um, getting on with my life and perhaps uh, you know enjoying a, a pint down at the local pub at the end of a, of a hot day. Really, that's about Absolutely. it. <laughs> Great. So let's just get started. So James, what attracted you to do research in the field of CBI, and how did you prepare to work on such a detailed report such as the CBI index? Well, that's a good. Um, well, firstly, I would say um, it was a unique opportunity to apply our research expertise from other areas to um, what we see as one of the fastest growing and dynamic sectors in the investment space. Uh, and really, there are a few areas that are as interdisciplinary in the BI industry, whether it's financial, legal, political, and social components. And that really tallies with our interdisciplinary approach to consultancy at McKay Research. So that's the first point. Secondly, I would say maybe perhaps more importantly was the uh, recognition that the CBI industry is 
a very important but in a way under-recognized uh, signpost for major global developments and it really sits at the intersection of a multitude of trends that were brought into sharper focus um, by the financial crisis of 2007. So by that I mean the, the economic downturn was very much a complex event and it had social and political consequences as well as the obvious economic ones and this mix of uncertainty, the increasing rise of autocratic governments, um, social turbulence, geopolitical stress and so on and so forth really had a significant impact in the way that investors approached the safeguarding of their assets uh, and their families in particular going forward. So just to illustrate further, an example from traditional investment that I like to use is, the, is gold. That's an asset class that's widely recognized as a way to ensure the holder against systemic risk. And what we've seen is an increase in demand for the storing of gold and secure vaults across different jurisdictions. And this, this really underscores the, the need for geographical diversification and how it's becoming more and more important due to the social, political and economic issues I mentioned. And um, I really look, look at this as the monetary equivalent to the CBI industry, as um, more and more people recognize that geographical diversification um, in the form of a second citizenship is really the only way to ensure physical safety. Uh, and that really, the, the growth of the CBI industry really reflects this dual need for mobility, for the protection of one's family, as well as the securing of investments. So that's... Um, really what attracted us to the to the space to answer your second question which was about the the preparation well really we use multiple sources of information um such as official um, program statements um, press releases um circulars etc um, there's also a significant volume of specialist industry press that's always handy for um getting the latest bulletins and updates in the industry but as well as the, the secondary sources, it's really important to speak to the governments themselves and nothing can really replace speaking to your, your, the, the governments in question as well as the, the agents who um, manage those um, programs for them. Um, and we find that that's particularly important when looking for recent programs or new programs or looking at detailed changes to programs as well. The other thing I would say is that uh, in preparation, for um, some of the pillars, there's a large um, amount of uh, official data and official statistics that we use for the index. Uh, and that's really, we, we depend on the most uh, reputable sources here. So, For example, the United Nations Human Development Report is key, as are other sources of macroeconomic indicators such as the IMF and the World Bank, um, because that basically always provides the most up-to-date um, indicators for that purposes. So there are a lot of very, a lot of different pieces of the puzzle to, to fit together. And it's always, um, you know, a challenge, but a rewarding one. Wow, that was very insightful. I understand that the CBI index is based on seven pillars that determine the ranking of a dozen or so countries, each of which has an active CBI program. Can you take us through what some of the factors are and their significance? Well, yeah, that's right. Um, at its core, the, the CBI index provides uh, a mechanism for appraising these programs to really to help the decision-making process for investors that look, are looking at these programs. Um, the original um, version of the index um, back in 2017 was based on 12 jurisdictions, uh, and they were evaluated on the basis of seven pillars, which were freedom of movement, um, standard of living, the minimum investment outlay, mandatory travel or residence, 
citizenship timeline, ease of processing, and due diligence. So in terms of these pillars, um, the architecture of the, in, in, uh, of the index was really des designed to provide the broadest range of factors to measure a program strength on the one hand, but also at the same time include as much detail and granularity as possible. So just to give you an example, I mean, looking at taking some of these pillars, such as minimum investment outlay, that's relatively straightforward um, because what you're really measuring there are just the lowest possible cost, for example, for a single applicant across the different programs, which is really just a single number, um, as is the citizenship timeline, which compares the program's end-to-end -end processing times. But there are also others in that that are much more complex. Um, so, for example, the freedom of movement um, pillar is not just a measure of the number of jurisdictions a passport holder can access visa-free. And that's because um, the investors, they also place a great deal of emphasis on their ability to access particular business hubs. So your London's, your New York's, for example, or China's another interesting one as well, as well as the countries that will enable them to actually settle themselves and their family. So settlement rights is also a very important thing as well. So all these sub factors need to be built into the pillar. And basically that gives rise to the fact that some of the pillars on the face of things may be quite simple, but there's actually a lot of different calculations and measures that go into them. The other important point worth mentioning is because it's such a rapidly evolving space, we've, we felt that it was necessary to introduce two new pillars um, for the upcoming fourth edition uh, as part of a, a comprehensive review. Uh, and that those two new pillars were um, family, uh, and the other looks at um, the stability of a program or the certainty of a product, as we call it. Um, just quickly on the family pillar, that really just compares the degree of flexibility in terms of the ability to add dependents or other family members to a primary application. Uh, and the reason that's important is because such a high number of investors look to secure a citizenship, not just for themselves, but also for their entire family. So. Clearly, then, the difference between a program that allows for the inclusion of a parent or a sibling or other dependents, um, including dependents from a partner's previous marriage, for example, that can make all the difference. And lastly, the, the certainty of product is a measure of a program's certainty or stability across uh, multiple different dimensions. And we felt it was necessary to include this pillar simply because of the rapid growth of the industry. Um, it's becoming more and more important to have a robust means of evaluating um, a program's um, stability, its popularity, its reputation, etc., as the marketplace becomes more and more crowded. So the addition of these pillars really reflects the need for a tool um, that evaluates the, the, you know, the existing uh, market as well as one that actually is uh, adapted to the, the changes of the industry itself. The CBI Index was launched in 2017. Do you think a citizenship by investment index has the same impact or relevance now in 2020 as we face a pandemic that has closed so many borders? Oh, that's an excellent question. I think um, that on many levels, there will be a degree of revaluation of priorities as, as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. On a base level, one all-important issue will be where one's entire family is going to be welcome with the increased restrictions of moving around the world. And um, related to that point, of course, will be an increase in desirability of jurisdictions that have very low or no cases of, of COVID-19 in this case, for example. So 
these tend to be areas or jurisdictions that are a little bit more remote and away from landmass and um, big cities, etc. So the Caribbean islands, as is Oceania, for example, are really good examples of this. In terms of the countries themselves, I think that many countries offering CBI programs as well as residency programs, because they generate a large percentage of their GDP through business, travel and tourism, um, and these are activities that have been quite badly affected by the pandemic, um, that we may see an increase in the number of countries looking you know, quite seriously at introducing um, citizenship by investment programs to aid the country's recovery. Um, so, for example, the number of governments offering citizenship by investment increased quite substantially after the um, financial crisis. And it's precisely these investments that played a big part in bringing these countries out of the um, economic dolger. And um, more governments now are realizing that. And with the increasing emphasis placed on due diligence, a lot of countries are ensuring that they start with that process before getting all the other elements of the program in place to ensure that any launch of a citizenship by, uh, by investment program can be successful and, and can last um, the duration. Really, it's about governments needing to secure more uh, tax revenue or long-term investment. It's about the financial well-being of their economies uh, and the citizens, because a lot of the funds collected through these schemes actually go directly to domestic investment and to domestic infrastructure. And also the obvious one of attracting um, business people who are willing to set up businesses in those countries and um, you know, in in increase employment prospects for the population. So some of the top runners in the 2019 CBI index were countries in the Caribbean like Dominica and St. Kitts and Nevis. Why do you think the Caribbean tends to do better than perhaps a more famous nation like Cyprus or Turkey? No easy answer. I mean, there's a, there are a multitude of different factors behind the Caribbean country's success there. In an important sense, I would say that the Caribbean countries, such as St. Kitts and Nevis, I mean, these are countries that have over 30 years in the Industry. I mean, these are not fickle um, programs. They've, they've come up, they've actually had the, the, the benefit of um, trial and error um, and to see what works and what doesn't work. It really shows in terms of how these programs are put together and as well as their due diligence and their efficiency. Perhaps looking at it on a more, on a, on a more basic level, the Caribbean countries also tend to be the most cost effective in terms of price. I mean, that's going to be an, an important factor in, in any decision making process. But uh, they're also good value, also in terms of what they offer in return, in terms of the passport power. Um, a lot of these countries have many, many um, jurisdictions they can access visa-free. Um, and in addition to that, they also tend to offer quicker processing times. And um, let's face it, I mean, particularly now, we've all been stuck inside for month after month. I mean, the Caribbean lifestyle is also a huge plus for many people as well. It can't be denied. No, it definitely makes sense. <laughs> So what was the most enjoyable part of producing research for this report? Well, the most enjoyable part, I mean, there's, uh, because it's such a long process and multifaceted, um, really, I, I, I very much enjoy the, the modelling of the data. I and mean, just to put that into perspective, there are over 1,000 data points that go into the final scores, uh, and these all need to be researched and benchmarked correctly. And of course, they need to be updated year on year. And because of this huge volume of data, the research process behind the CBI index invariably touches other areas of our, of our research. So that's definitely one 
area that's of great interest and is always compelling and different every time we do it. The other aspect, I would say, looking at new programs uh, and we're almost averaging one new program a year now um, for the reasons I mentioned before. And as the industry seeks to establish itself more and more, it's always interesting to see what the new programs have to offer um, versus the established ones uh, and whether they, you know, whether they come up with any new concepts, um, new special aspects or elements of the program that haven't been seen before in the industry. Uh, and all that is you know, very interesting to see how they position themselves in terms of their unique selling points versus the industry standards. Maybe the last thing I would say on the most interesting aspects for us is the, um, the way in which different jurisdictions use their funds for the, for the, for the programs. Uh, many programs, as I said before, they use their funds directly to, um, for construction. So, or or it, could, it could be a number of domestic products like education, um, healthcare, etc. Whereas other programs and other jurisdictions, they tend to be focused more on real estate and property development. But that in turn, of course, means that um, you know, the more you develop in, in, that, in the real estate sector, that will give the tourist industry as well a significant lift. So it's always interesting to examine the complex interrelation between these different factors, how the countries go about funding these programs and what the long-term consequences are um, in those countries for the good of the people. Definitely. When can listeners expect this year's CBI index to be out and where can they access it? Well, we're looking at a, a late uh, summer launch. And as you said uh, before, it will be um, published in the Financial Times um, Supplement of Professional Wealth Management. But for a quick fire view of the break by country, along with um, scores, definitions and pillars, you can just visit cbiindex.com. Those are all of our questions. Thank you so much for joining us today, James. I definitely learned a lot. We appreciate all of your insight. This concludes our third episode of season two. If you have any topics or questions you'd like for us to discuss on Plan B, let us know and we'll be happy to have an expert address your concerns. Next Wednesday, we'll be back with another insightful guest who will shed light on St. Kitts and Nevis's temporarily reduced Sustainable Growth Fund limited time offer. Until then, if you have any concerns about CBI or would like to find out more, please visit www.csglobalpartners.com. And thank you for listening and stay safe. Audio.